0: So I listened back to the episode, and yeah, I said like I, s- I s- overstated how much I dislike TypeScript slightly, but frankly, I wasn't even that harsh on JavaScript. I just said like don't use it anymore. Which
1: is which is the Xbox equivalent to log off, uninstall. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be an apology episode. No. Uh, Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Deaf Show. Today we have a surprise guest. His name is also Nathan, and he sounds like our original Nathan, but he's completely different. Same, same, but still different. That's right. Wow. How do you feel like being on the show?
0: uh, I have a bunch of false memories. Oh. Uh, At least I've been told they're false memories. Uh, it's a wild time to be alive. You got Chat GPT going to take your jabs. You've got Android fake uh, memory counterparts taking your podcasting gig. Who knows what's real anymore?
1: I know this could just be a recording generated by two Chat GPTs, and it's just AI talking. But <laughs> of course be- not. <laughs> no, <that's crazy.
0: laughs> well, I don't know why you'd say that. <laughs>
1: We'll just just move past that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good theory, good theory. theory. It's just a joke, just a joke. Uh, But that
1: would be interesting. That would be interesting.
0: You know what else would be interesting? What? I don't know, why don't you tell
1: us? Oh my God, all right. Um, Well, I'll start off with a neutral territory. Okay. So it's kind of interesting, but I haven't fully committed to the interest in it. All right. Um, which is The Last of Us TV show <laughs> has launched. Uh-huh. Um, and being a long, long lover of the game, mm-hmm. fan, I I liked it so much that I always thought investing money in consoles is was a waste of money. Uh, you should just buy a good PC and use it for everything. Okay. Uh, however, I played the first game at a friend's place. And I loved it so much that when the second game came out with a limited edition console, I bought it day one. Can confirm. Yeah. No questions asked. It was there. It was delivered to my door. I was very happy. (laughs) Uh, Sat on the markets and refreshed all the websites till I could find it. Uh, However, there's a TV show now, and Pedro Pascal is the lead character. And whatever girl is playing Ellie um, is... Not as cute as Ellie, so I, I don't know how I feel about that, because whenever she swears, it just feels like a bratty kid swearing. Mm. There's no charm to it. You know, there's no pretty privilege. I see, I see. Uh, but they, the story on the first episode has its f- like, crazily diverted. Uh, however, I'm waiting for the other episodes to see if it, like, actually makes me feel good about watching it. So I'm playing the game up until the episode I watch, and then I stop to try to see if there's a parallelism and how well they execute the two. Um, yeah,
0: well, so. I mean, media has a perfect record with video game uh, variations. Um, making movies out of games, yes. TV shows out of games. So I think you've got nothing to worry about. Uh,
1: never, never. Uh, I have mild hope because, I mean, the last time I had this much hope was when Prince of Persia came out as the movie. Right. And it came out on my birthday. And I was just devastated. Mm. Uh, however, critics say the, the show is the best adaptation to the game they could have done.
0: I see. Did they say that about um, that Tom Holland one as well?
1: I, I don't know. Uh, Uncharted was, it. we don't we don't speak of it. Okay, but um, you know what
0: we can speak of? The movie that we saw together, Sonic the Hedgehog.
1: Oh my God.
0: And our friends fell asleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I
0: don't know, I think that was pretty good. So that's all I need to know about movie, or uh, video game adaptations.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sonic, one of the few games that didn't really have much of a story. No, that's why I think well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There were no expectations set. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, part of my disappointment was also that they filmed it in Alberta. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) I feel like if they wanted to represent the post-apocalyptic world, that was a good choice. I suppose. <laughs> so, but yes, I was not yeah. happy about that.
0: You watch your mouth. <laughs> we might have dedicated Alberta listeners. You yeah, don't
1: move to BC. I feel like the only time Alberta will be really good is when global warming is in its full swing, and that it's livable, and it's nice, well, and there's, like, water everywhere.
0: You should tell all the people yeah. that moved to Alberta, for the first time, more people moved to Alberta from BC than the other way around, so... Wow. I mean, maybe those those Instagram ads are working.
1: Maybe, yeah. All that investment. Mm. Mm. I'll wait. I'll wait a few years. Okay. I'm not sold on the premise yet. Not, <laughs> yeah. right. It's still still trash. Respect community.
0: respect the early adopters
1: though. Yes, are they, yeah. Yes, they can go. They can find all the bugs. Maybe fix some of it, <laughs> and then we can swoop in and make it production ready. Sounds good. Um. But yeah, that's why it's in the neutral category because it could be really interesting. Happy or extremely frustrating as time goes on. So I'll keep our fourteen listeners updated mm-hmm. on that. Um, frustrating thing, yeah, uh, is I last week was my last week at Amazon. Um, Doesn't sound frustrating. Com- the frustrating part is coming. Ah, okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay no, 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 yeah. Now quitting was great. Ah, cool, 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 yeah, cool, yeah, right. <laughs> Plus, plus. Um, however, on my last day my manager and I both were equally confused as to do what to do with the equipment. It was like, yeah, you, you need to return it to IT. And I'm like, when, what time? It felt wrong to return it before five on my last day because I should still be working or doing something, I guess, um, according to whatever like people who were there. Because we were doing like this big cleanup of resetting your system to its original state. And I'm like, I should be helping. I feel bad. And as time told, We were there until like 7 p.m. on that day uh, at work. However, um, I, I came to the office at like 4 to return the laptop, found out IT timings were like 9 to 4, Reception was like, come back on Monday. I went back on Monday, but because my badge no longer works, I can't get to the IT. And the reception was like, oh, you can just fill out this form and we'll take it there. I was like, where was this hospitality on Friday? And why is this such a hard process to return? They just laid off, what, like 40,000 people in the last three months. <laughs> How are they managing all that return? Are people queuing up at the office? Is everyone just mailing it in? That sounds like a stupid way to like, make our mail systems worse. Um, so yeah, things like that was a little frustrating. I mean, like, There's a lot of Toddman onboarding people, but as always, companies don't really put a lot of Toddman, all right, they're out. They're mm-hmm. out of here. Who cares? Um, yeah. So not impressed by that. Uh, unhappy news is they're investing more money into US East 1. Oh. oh. Yeah. So it'll probably go down a whole lot more while they're doing their whatever upgrade with all the money invested. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So good luck to all y'all in North Virginia trying to run those servers. And uh, the good news is there might be a more stable US East 1A on the right. horizon.
0: well Yeah. We were just talking today about how I might move state our staging environment over to us west 2 um basically as a first move to be like okay how does it go because we don't care about staging uh as much but yeah we need to get we need to not be reliant on the least reliable availability zone yeah usc (laughs) A. (laughs)
1: <laughs> everyone is, for some reason. That's where we
0: all go. Yeah. It's the top of the drop-down. What are you going to it do? It is.
1: And I learned as an insider that any time a new service is built... It goes there. First yeah. first service to go there. I don't understand. Who made that law? Why is that even a thing? You probably can...
0: Virginia. Uh,
1: probably. Not West Virginia, though. You no, know, it is West Virginia. No, no it's North. In yeah. it. In it, yeah. <laughs> um and, man, this list is longer than I thought it would be. Um, That's fine.
0: I, sp- I ranted for like 45 minutes straight last episode.
1: All right, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so on the horizon, there might be a better, better data center coming in, and then the slightly annoying thing now is, that I just realized it after leaving Amazon, uh, is the question people ask is, where do you work? Which sounds like a stupid question because there's a million companies in the world and never uh, answer unless you work in the big tech, which I forgot about. Um, no one is gonna know where you work. It like, it made sense in Victoria because there were like five companies and people knew when you told them. It made sense when I was at EA and AWS because I could sort of show off and they knew what I was talking about. Although my dentist did ask if I was doing like drop shipping because I worked at Amazon. I was like, I don't, I don't think you understand what, <laughs> what I'm trying to get to here. Um, but now if someone's like, hey, yeah, I t- I'll tell them I'm a software engineer. like, oh, where do you work? I'm like, you're not going to know. Why even bother? A better question would be, what kind of work do you do? What, what does your role entail? What interests you? But everyone's first default is where do you work? And I, I don't get it. I, where, who originated it and who gives a shit?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just, because I've been responding... this sort of question for a long time Uh, i always just say oh it's just a startup and then usually i pause for a second and then say they're based in seattle and then that immediately alleviates any questions about like specifics because they don't think they know anymore and then they can just be like all right well what kind of company is it or whatever something more reasonable whereas before it was like yeah i work for a startup they're based in victoria and they would be like okay what kind of company it's like help secure healthcare communications and now it's Cloud infrastructure cost optimization, which people are usually like,
1: eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't don't even, yeah. The weird thing is now my title will have like machine learning attached to it. And I'm like, ooh. And I'm like, no. It's just just setting up infrastructure for it. Like, I'm not predicting who's going to be the next big criminal or lottery numbers sort of thing. I don't know. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah, thought about that the other day while I was answering someone. I was like, that, that's exactly what I did. I was like, start up in California. I don't i don't know what more to tell you more than that. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay. It's like, yeah. Anyways, um, and then coming to a funny news. Okay. Which is the last one for me, which I thought was quite amusing, was there was this article, uh, which I'm still not able to confirm the location. I think it's in Kelowna, but the article starts with like Vancouver woman. So I don't know if it, the place is in Vancouver, if it's just the women's been associated to the Vancouver. Uh, but some lady uh, complained about tipping because the restaurant she was in, she got served by a robot, and she's like, I don't think I need to tip a robot. And when she refused, and she she said zero like percent or whatever, the staff questioned her about it, which I'm just like, what the heck? Like, she I feel like she's correct she's been served by not no one but a robot she had to get her own place she just why would you tip a robot is the robot not able to make ends meet like (laughs) the whole point was right like the whole point was you tip the servers here because they're not paid well uh so the tipping culture has gotten out of hand so that they can you know go home and eat uh and everything's 20 40 and 80 percent tip and if you do like 110 percent, they just Tisk at you yeah. and then spit in your face. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> Take your food back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You don't deserve to eat. Uh, yeah, but yeah, stuff like that. And yeah, I just I just thought the article was so hilarious. I tried to find, uh, so I, I I couldn't find any none, nothing in the article said where she ate, but I looked up what r- restaurants had a robot server in Vancouver, and I couldn't find any. The only one I saw was in Kelowna, which maybe makes sense. That's why the lady was the, the article like. Vancouver woman was appalled mm-hmm. about this. Instead of like this restaurant in Vancouver had this news or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, and then the article was the rest about just more people being like, I would get a beer and the bartender just like pops open the beer and hands it to me, and then the counter says twenty five percent tip, and I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I should tip twenty five percent for this. Yeah. Um, and then it feels really guilty too because it, it's always custom. It's never like no tip or smaller numbers on the massive screen they have the real estate to put other percentages on there but no, it's 25 50 80 custom and then you have to do custom then it's numbers so now you have to do mental math to what a good percentage is and it's just yeah so I thought that was hilarious but it also made me mildly sad because Google now thinks that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in okay Uh, it sends me articles like the one I forwarded the other day where some people went and went to three different grocery stores to figure out where do you get your, the best bang for your buck. Uh-huh. Because Canada apparently has unregulated grocery store pricing. Anyone can charge whatever they want. Um, yeah, so that was my, like, funny but mildly sad uh, update.
0: Well, I hope it's a real story.
1: I, I mean, it was on CTV News or whatever. It was, like, it was not on The Onion. I see. It you. was... Places where you're like, all right, I, I they've clearly fact checked. Okay. Yes. All
0: right. Hopefully that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but speaking of, <clears throat> like things that Google thinks will like. At this point, Google, uh, uh, YouTube just knows the things it needs to show me. So earlier today, for example, it was like, you want to see this video from 11 years ago that someone made a digital clock out of Lego, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I do, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. That reminded me of something cool that I sent you a while ago, which was the computer made out of connects. Yes. So yeah, this guy—it was a 12-year-old video, uh, and again, YouTube was just like, "Hey, man, I know what you like. I got you." Uh, and yeah, he made he—I knew it was a video for me when he's doing the introduction. And he's like walking around this tower of connects, and he's just has to step over a pile of AND gates that he has on the floor. (laughs) He's like, oh, sorry, I just got a bunch of AND gates here. And then he stops to like show how they work. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm down with this. Uh, So I'll link that in the show notes. Um, There's not much else I can say about it. It's a computer. It does basic addition. Uh, I think it may have done subtraction or like some other things. You could choose. Um, the operator but the basic point was yeah basic some basic math uh, wow. and that was it and then he came back a few years ago or maybe it was a few months ago and just posted like hey in a, in a comment on, on, under that video I haven't you know said anything in a long time but I have a plan for a um, I don't even remember the details of this at this point uh, I should have looked it up before recording. But it was going to require a warehouse full of connects and, like, tons of people to maintain it and how he'd made, like, these designs for a giant computer that did a bunch of stuff. And uh, he's like, yeah, I've got approval from connects to provide all of the however many thousand motors that I would need, but uh, pretty big project, so I'll let you guys know if anything happens with it. I'm like, bro, it's been 12 years. I don't, th- I don't know what your plan is here. But anyway... Uh, rag up my alley. I'm, I'm yes. into that sort of thing.
1: The, you know, the Google's recommendation engine is like a three-tier funnel system or multiple-tier funnel system. It's probably one of those is just like autism and it just like yeah. takes that away. It's like this guy. Yeah,
0: there's yeah. a Venn diagram of interests <laughs> and in the middle is I'm the only one. <laughs> it's just me. I am the niche. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of things that I watch way too much of, uh, the Primogen, I just showed you the first minute or so of a video he recently put out about JavaScript numbers breaking stuff. Uh, I was going to mention the title of the video, but I'm pretty sure it was literally just like JavaScript's broken, why though? Something like that. Uh, So I'll link that as well in the show notes. Um, But he goes through basically the way that numbers work. Uh, He pulls up the um, Chromium, or sorry, V8, which is... Using in Chromium. Uh, engine for JavaScript pull, goes through the code and says, like, oh, based on this and this and this, this is why this happens. And this is why it's unexpected. And this is why if you use one less millisecond, then it gets this very different behavior. And he talks about bit shifting and things. So anyway, it is a typical Primogen video. Uh, very chaotic, but also very informative. Wow! The kind of energy, the sweet spot <laughs> I'm looking for. Uh, uh, unrelated to tech, but also interesting. Um, I stumbled upon a website called moneysense.ca that includes a page with a bunch of sliders on it that allows you to give your preferences for things you would want to look for in a place to live, and then it sorts. Yeah tons of locations across Canada and you can filter it by province or whatever so you could exclude Alberta Damn. as an example nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it allows you to do things like um, how much for example does um, job opportunities matter to you versus how much does uh, high, like high or low crime matter to you um, versus, uh, like arts and culture, um, those sorts of things. So there's a lot of different sliders I could I was trying to find definitions because some of them are a bit unclear, and I couldn't find definitions that they use for their... Um, they have a giant page that ex- describes like their process of how things are weighted and everything, but I wasn't able to find clear definitions. But then they have pre-made lists as well where it's like, recommendations for uh, young families, represent, uh, recommendations for people who are single, retirees, things like that. And it's not just like the big places, it's not just like Halifax, Winnipeg, uh, you know, whatever. It's like one of the top three suggestions it gave me after doing a bunch of filters the other day was Terrace BC, which has like a few thousand people in it and it's close to Yukon. <laughs> wow. I was like, okay, so they're picking like... <laughs> All over the place. This is not just the the greatest hits of Canada, um, which gave me some uh, uh, some. I found it through Reddit because um, I was looking for like where different people discussing different areas to live. Because I've only lived in two main places, and uh, one of them's going to be pretty tough to make ends meet. And I'm not even a server, so uh. I can only imagine <laughs> uh, it's going to be tough for a lot of people to, for example, get a place in uh vancouver area so looking for other options yeah and uh, i stumbled upon money so i'll link that as well uh, also actually related to this area a wholesome recommendation uh my girlfriend and i watched the first two episodes of island of the sea wolves which is about vancouver island and it just follows a bunch of different wildlife across a couple summers well from summer to summer on Vancouver Island, and they film around, like, Tofino and Comox and a bunch of stuff. But uh, it's very wholesome. I mean, it's got some of the nature's metal type stuff in it, too, but they make it happy-go-lucky as much as they can. Yeah, like, oh, this this guy died. We'll do that off camera. (laughs) That sort of thing. Yeah.
1: They also film Sonic on the island.
0: There's a consistent quality. I mean, where is the X-Mansion? on the island I've been there so why do you think that uh, Deadpool was so good it's because Ryan Reynolds is Canadian Right. this is why it all comes down to the same same reasons which is the island uh, which is a place I need to go back to and visit my friends yes yes
1: according to the last episode
0: that's right so anyway we'll get there when we get there in the meantime again when I say code quality what comes to mind for you
1: Um, join a startup create a bunch of code debt switch jobs
0: that's not what I have in mind (laughs) it is a strategy and it's actually it's funny you've given me a lot of weird uh, career advice before things like uh, break something don't tell anyone fix it then tell them you fixed it and get all the credit yes Uh, introduce tech debt don't document it change jobs yes Um, which I think I also saw on a do better dev show meme one time
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> so. Try to test it, people. That though. is
0: <laughs> that is one approach. You've been doing well so far yeah. uh, with your cyclic job changing.
1: Yes, my favorite one is when you code an app, you throw a bunch of sleep statements all over the place and the customer's like, man, this is really slow. So you're like, give me 20 grand and I'll make this real fast. And then you just go remove all the sleep statements. And it's like, whoa, crazy. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah.
0: Uh, so that would be an example of poor code quality, I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> but more, more generally, do you have anything? Because yeah. there are there are different interpretations. Like Code quality is so broad, and that's kind of why I want to discuss this, because it's been a bit of a topic of conversation at work for wow. a, a few months. Um, where And there are clearly diverging opinions on what that term means. And there's so many elements to it that I'm like, I think depending on where you are in your career, what your background has been, as far as teams you've been on, could probably affect what you see as code quality. And uh, I'm curious to see where we differ, but I want to of your opinion first, and then I've got all my notes as yes. well.
1: I'm gonna be relying on your notes a lot, but the first thought that comes to mind is just, it's a, at the end of the day, a cost readability issue sort of. So because computers are fast now and Server costs and such are cheaper. The most expensive resource in a company is the human. So the most money you can save by the whatever crap code you write uh, on the human aspect is basically like what will be the deterministic factor of if your startup goes down or not. Uh, and that's where I think like code quality is like, that's the root driver of it. Um, and then when, yeah, it all just comes down to is your code like, Easy to refactor, which could be a thing as you, as your company grows, because you'll be definitely refactoring it and adding a lot of things. Uh, is your code easy to read? Is your code full of bugs or not? Maybe unit tests. Never write unit tests. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know who said that. And <laughs> uh, yeah, just like styling and other cosmetic things that, depending on, again, where you are in the career and your product growth, Uh, should make a part of it because that's when the more, the bigger your team gets, the more you're collaborating and such. Um, That's when you would need to think more about not exactly what it is that your code is doing because that should be priority number one, it should work, uh, but how it's presented, how it looks, how it talks to other uh, parts of your system so that more people other than you can work with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds to me, like that's especially that second part seems more one level above where I was thinking, at least initially. That's more like code architecture quality, mm-hmm. where it's like, does the system make sense if you were to zoom out and draw it in a diagram? Uh, but like, I think starting from the bottom up, yes, this is where this is how my notes go. Structure. in Structure, yeah, do it. I, love yeah. This I, I, I know you do. So, my very first point about code quality. is to, you should avoid bike-shedding. Right. So, the first thing that I, as my personal opinion, is that you shouldn't have an opinion on a lot of these things. It's like, uh, bike-shedding is the idea, it's a metaphor to refer to the idea that if there's a sufficiently complex problem, only a few people have an opinion. And as soon as you make that problem understandable by everyone, suddenly everyone has an opinion, like, what color should we paint the bike shed? If you have a more complex issue, people just kind of back out and realize that it's none of their business. But if you have, should we use semicolons or not? Cool. Suddenly, even the marketing department has an opinion, and you're like, you don't need this opinion at all. Uh, so things like uh, the format of code, things that are style preferences... Um, they are something that I think pretty quickly I dropped as uh, an opinion that I thought developers should have. Um, and I think what's key about it is to not, um, to thoroughly hold that opinion. Meaning it's not like nobody else should have an opinion but I can have one. Uh, it's like no nobody gets to have an opinion other than that will choose a formatter. And whatever it says to do, we do. And as soon as you start overriding it, it's one of the things I like about Prettier, um, as a, as a, which is a JavaScript TypeScript formatter and JSON. You can use it for that as well. Ooh, wow. uh, but one of the things I like about Prettier is they don't provide basically any overrides. It's like a handful of, of simple ones. And then another one I used to use that was also, I think, a linter um, was standard. But then my favorite ever name for a library was semi-standard, which was literally standard but it added semicolons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we actually had this a few months ago, where prettier, in one of their patch versions, changed the rules such that it updated how um, arrow functions, like if you had a bunch of um, curiable arrow functions, so like function that returns a function that returns a function, all um, in a line. It changed the way that it defined those such that it would be like um, const name equals and then a new line and then the first function and then arrow and then a new line and then the first function and then the next function. And some people on my team didn't like that very much. And we basically had to have the discussion of, okay guys, they don't let us override it. We can either switch to something like the Airbnb config or we can move on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we ended up with move on because switching to the Airbnb config is not trivial. You have to then get it to play nicely with other linters that you're using, and so we just moved on. And I am pleased to announce nothing bad happened because it's a trivial change that no one should care about. Uh, and so yeah, you can collectively I think decide on what tool are you going to use. Like, do you want to use Black or do you want to use um, like pylint or whatever the oh, yeah. the other ones are for for Python. Um, And yeah, do you like iSort? Do you want to use some other sorting algorithm for your imports? Like, these are things you can discuss, but then once they're there, just back away, hands off the keyboard, and you just let your CI do its thing, which is validate that everybody has to agree on this external uh, set of rules. And yeah, it avoids bike-shedding and wasting time. One layer up from that um, is... Yeah, like linters and stuff. So that would be something that has implementation details that actually affect logic. Um, oftentimes they're used to avoid bugs. For example, all the linters for React hooks because nobody understands React hooks properly. Like. And it's not even because I can say people don't bother to learn. Like there's just a lot of weird edge cases with React hooks where if you, as soon as you try to do something that's not incredibly obvious, because something like use effect is a fairly low level as far as React goes primitive. Uh, it's kind of like promises for JavaScript. Like once they had a wrapper over top of it with async await, people understood it, and once they have these abstractions over top of use effect, people understand it. But when you're working with it directly. People like, ah, I just don't want to pass in dependencies because I want it to happen once. And then you have to have your hooks linters that say, like, this is why you shouldn't do that. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to disable it for this line because it matters for this reason. And, like, it couldn't be that I misunderstand how this is going to behave. It's that the hook doesn't, the, this linting rule is too specific and doesn't understand my unique use case. And I... I just encourage anyone to defer to the wisdom of the crowd in the open source community who is creating these rules because they probably know collectively better than just you. And if you can't write a solution to a very common problem in a more common way that follows the rules, then you're probably just writing the solution wrong, or you don't understand the solution, or you don't understand the tool. So, again, just deferring. Yeah, to to
1: the experts, right? Pe- yeah, people who are doing that, there's the, there's a reason we have PEP8 or whatever mm-hmm. convention, That's right? what I was trying to think of, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, people who, I don't know, maybe, maybe or definitely are a lot more anal about this stuff than you are, uh, have sat there, argued, and somehow agreed, uh, disagreed and committed. uh, a set of rules and then they said all right this is for the greater good and most people will be happy with this Uh, and everyone in the community will be happy with it so let's stick with this and then if you go out of your way to be like nah then I know I feel like you can't put like team player or (laughs) collaboration on your resume then Um, because yeah you just you 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 get out of the problem space it's the I don't know, it's like loosely that argument of how, why, like, the big rich CEOs wear the same clothes every day because they don't have to think, they don't want to think about what they wear and such. Uh, So if you are sitting there being like, no, 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 my functions should look like this, you're maybe not being, like, very good for your company unless you work it prettier. And then maybe, (laughs) yeah, that's the problem space you're trying to solve.
0: Yeah, and what's key about following these sorts of rules is yeah it saves you the time but also if you can agree upon this with your team and then you end up having multiple files multiple directories multiple projects multiple code bases and they follow if not exactly the same very similar formatting rules very form- similar linting rules the things that are usually the easiest are the things that look and feel familiar and if things always kind of look the same then you're going to have a easier time moving between files. You don't have to spend as much time figuring out what's going on here, because it looks like the code you were just looking at in this other file that was written a couple years ago, because everything has been linted, or everything has been formatted, and it follows a set of rules. So like, for example, if suddenly we added a formatting rule, or prettier, let's say upgrades, and they have a formatting rule that moves the opening uh, curly brace to the next line, on a like function definition it's going to look really weird for like a few days and it's going to feel uncomfortable and nobody's going to like it but also it doesn't really matter like it still does the same thing we'll eventually get used to it there are weird c people that always write their code like that or java people or whatever i've seen examples on the internet so i know it's a thing people some people do like and this is again like i can't have a proper opinion on one of those without also having to then fall back on everything else i just said at that point we agreed on this tool we either switched to a different one yes. or we accept the rule <laughs> uh and so anyway i think it's important to draw the line somewhere and say this can't be the responsibility of humans on the team to spend their time thinking and arguing about and that a lot of especially early early on developers maybe with less time arguing with people who know better than they do uh, haven't had that beaten out of their system yet yes. so if we if i can be or you can be that person in this conversation then hopefully we can save you some time and some uh, frustration trying to argue like why it's really important to never or always have the parentheses around arg- uh, arrow function arguments like nobody cares yeah
1: you fight the power your tools Give
0: him- yeah yeah, your tools will automatically handle it, have some make commands like auto format, uh, run pre-year on save if you want. I don't know, make it easy for yourself. Next up, I have Whoa. <laughs> code style. So this is like more this is edging towards the type of stuff that you were talking about, where it's more about the structure of the code base as a whole. So there are overlying paradigms. Things like, uh, for example, a React codebase tends to be fairly um, functional programming inspired. <clears throat> Whereas, I don't know, a lot of REST APIs, uh, unless they're running on Lambda or something, you'll see a lot more object-oriented stuff with respect to like how the ORM is structured. And you have all your classes and it looks like classical inheritance. And you have to have a certain mental model there. Because if you're trying to just run everything as a function, then you're kind of just working against what everybody's used to. And again, what's familiar is going to generally f- feel the easiest, which is an argument for consistency, but not an argument for only sticking with what you're familiar with. Um, <clears throat> but the, the point I'm thinking of is, if you have two people on your team who are from very b- different backgrounds, one just spent three years writing Scala and Elixir at some startup in Victoria, and another one just spent the last decade writing highly structured uh, class-based inheritance in the government, and they're both on the same project, they're going to have very different preferences. Yes. But you have to agree. You have to play nicely as a team and say, OK, given the domain, does it make sense to, for example, roll back and start trying to do MVC on the front end? Like, no. No, it doesn't. You should have a bunch of components, you pass arguments in; they're basically just functions, and they render out some HTML. That if you're going to do React, that's how you should do it. Likewise, you can't be just trying to force your uh, functional programming preferences onto the back end. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know <laughs> what <laughs> else to say? Like, they're they're cases where that won't be true. It's not like I can say every um, backend code base is going to be using classical inheritance, but a lot of those um, frameworks, at least the ones that I've used, tend to be that way. And if you're using one of those, then you should be working in the expected code style. Uh, Because as soon as you start mixing them, people are going to get confused because it doesn't look familiar. So especially, like I'm thinking how confusing functional programming can get, for example. Yes. It's the worst. <laughs> I don't know if it's the worst. <laughs> but if you have like if if you have, for example, curryable functions and you start pre populating them with arguments mm-hmm. and then those become your generic functions that you then map over to produce some sort of like dynamic component that generates at runtime, people are not gonna know what's going on. Yeah. Don't like this is this this is the sort of thing that's a code style that you can like, you know, uh, have your preferences for right. uh, <laughs> um, when you are working on a personal project, but when you 're working on a team, things have to be approachable people can 't spend uh, you know fifteen minutes looking at a single predicate function and trying to figure what the heck this thing does uh, because it is using some bizarre uh, yeah like series of maps and reduce functions that, if you even just have refactor, it and split it out into a few arguments, it might be obvious, but the fact that it, it all just passes through as a compose, uh, composable function, like it feels good if you like functional programming, but guess what? Nobody understands it and you have probably forgotten six months later how exactly this works. So you can't do that. And likewise on the back end, or I can't, can't say that. When you're writing classical uh, inheritance type of programs, going too far with like, Meta classes that dynamically generate at runtime, or you're trying to predict the future, um, which is a point I wanted to get to as well. Trying to predict the future with like, if I create this generic class that we can inherit into, inherit from for all of our subclasses, then we'll never have an issue with how we handle errors because I've thought of every potential problem that we could have and exactly what we need. I, uh, I had this was not really it didn't really become a big problem, but it was difficult to absorb as a new team member at my previous company because we had Django and then we basically had like custom Django built on top of it. And so there's that's not googleable. It's something that you have to just look in the code and you're like, "Okay, so I went to this class and yes, it's very simple. I can just add like five lines of code and I've got a full REST API at this endpoint now. Cool. But what's this class? Oh, it was written by my team lead three years ago, and then that class inherits from this other class, that inherits from this other class, that then inherits from the base Django class. And you're like, at what point is my issue actually occurring here? And it's so hard to understand what's happening where, um, because there's just so much deferred responsibility throughout that inheritance chain. So behave yourself.
1: Yeah, and maybe read one or two books on the patterns for stuff like that, because... Yeah, object oriented. While you're trying to form, like, follow a certain path or pattern, you will mix many things. And from what I've seen over and over, reading different object oriented paradigm books, is none of those singular pattern is what solves the problem, Mm -hmm. especially as your code base grows. So having some sort of like relationship between, all right, this set of codes or classes are following this pattern, this following this pattern and string that because it made sense for this in this context or whatever. Um, Because yeah, at some point you will run into that problem of, oh, I have too many base classes inherited from each other. Now I don't know what to do. Maybe I write an adapter pattern and like create a new class that sort of conjoins between the two. And things are just gonna get messier and messier and worse. Uh, And that's just with any code base. The The more it grows, the worse it's gonna get. Just make sure there's patterns that are more or less recognized so people can look at the mess and be like, ah, I understand, this is an organized mess. <laughs> and you're like, cool, this makes sense to me after giving it some time. Mm-hmm. But but it has to be standard patterns that you could come back five years later and be like, oh yeah, if I Google this pattern name, it'll make sense with the code base. And not, oh, I think this will be the best way to organize this because of how my brain thinks. And then they fire you because you, they were, you were part of the 18,000 people they laid off. <laughs> and then, then let you know, let's... People
0: that are left um, are sad. Yeah, yeah. I think one. There are a bunch of different strategies. Strategies to approach that with. One of them uh, is, I think, to try to keep things separate or possible to separate in the future. Where it's like, I've described this before as a React app if you think of it as a tree of React apps, where you're like, you go into any directory, and apart from maybe sharing some things with its siblings, it's basically just another React app that mentally compartmentalizes it a little bit, and you don't have to spend a bunch of time jumping back and forth across different parts of the code base trying to figure out how this component's working. And that's one of the problems, I think, that like Redux introduces, where it's just you suddenly everything's talking to everything, and it's hard to follow. Uh, and then... With a object-oriented approach, it's yeah, it's like being familiar with things like the Liskov substitution principle. Like, can you just replace an object that implements everything that this class implements uh, into the place where you're currently using it? Because if, if you can't, then it might not be as easy for other people to extend as you would like. And then as soon as they have to start fiddling with the source code, like it's o- no longer open to extension uh, and closed to modification. Like if they have to modify your code to make it do something different, that's not a good sign. Uh, one of the things that I put on, uh, I, made, I mentioned it before on the show a long time ago, but I wrote a, a decorator to do a bunch of logging for yes. like generic um, endpoints at my old job. And I wrote this giant doc string at the top that was like, this is not meant to be used directly. Do not use this directly. If you think you need to use this directly, you do not. This likely does not need to be changed. If you think you need to add arguments, you probably are wrong. Like, you probably should be using, and then I like provided the names of the other classes that we're using for more specific details. Because I had, there was one, one particular team member who kept pushing up PRs, modifying this thing to add like the extra functionality that he needed for his use case, and I'm like, we can't do that. Like if you go in there and start changing this, it's made specifically to work with this generic API class that's been in the code base for five years. Like as soon as we start trying to make it work with the other version of our API class, like it's meant to be on the most standard, boring REST API endpoints that we have, we can't start making it creative. And then you end up, we've got some fun functions in my current code base where you, it, it wouldn't look so bad if maybe you took your IDE and like collapsed the argument list, but then you pop it open and it's like 24 arguments long. You're just like, I don't know what this function does anymore. <laughs> like you can't know, there's way too many parameters. That's uh a whole app. Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, and so if you're in there and you're adding the, the fourth argument to a function, probably start thinking like, do I actually understand what this function's for? Do I actually understand what this class is for? How much encapsulation is really happening here? Am I just bleeding the rest of my app into this object as a, or into this class, or is it the other way around, where this object knows what it's for and it's telling the rest of the app? Because at some point, it's it's not following the principles <laughs> of, of design. Uh, and yeah, you should learn about those sorts of things, I guess, um, and respect the people on your team who have been around longer, who will tell you, like, maybe you don't understand when they explain why what you're doing uh, will lead to bad things. When you're like, no, it's just like there's one change. It's just a hack. It fixes it. You know, we can deal with it later. Like you'll never deal with it later. No. It'll, it'll never happen. Uh, so it's a fool's errand to try to make a slight change to an existing thing. Um, and also don't try to do the opposite. Don't try to prematurely generalize a pattern because you see two similar blocks of code uh, and you want to not repeat yourself. So yeah, you're only kind of repeating yourself. Maybe if it happens another time or two, you might see a pattern, but usually humans see patterns before they exist, and wow. you should just the matrix. just chill.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite example for that usually always is, uh, there's some GitHub repo about If Foo Bar was written at an enterprise level, right, and it's just this stupid long Java project with inheritance-based classes, documentation, documentation. I'm not against it on that actually, but it's just so many levels of interface, abstract classes, all importing each other all over the place just to like print out Foo and Bar. Yeah, and it's. It's beautiful. But like it's it, scalable, like, bro. It's scalable, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are, you know, starting a new job at the government or Microsoft, and they're just like, yo, we really need to start a new project, we need to build this event registration app, um, what do we do? You just you start with the FooBar example, and you're the hero, because everyone will like, wow, much senior, lots mm-hmm. of experience.
0: Right. So apart from just complaining about how things go wrong... I would like to, and just telling people to go RTFM with all these uh, principles and languages and stuff. I do think it's worth trying to say, like, okay, what can you do and what problems does this actually cause? So, like, at work, we've been having this team debate, kind of, and I think part of the reason is that we disagree on the nature of what code quality is. Um, But this debate on, like, code quality... uh, versus feature delivery. And I'm of the opinion that most of the time, those two things are not mutually exclusive and that having reasonably good code quality does not take reasonably much longer to write and usually saves you more time in the end than just having, for example, like a 400 line spaghetti function that you can't touch, uh, it has no tests, so you don't know what it'll do if you change a parameter. And like, oh, we want an extra day, we had an extra day, and suddenly, like, oh, because of the edge case and one of the if statements, no longer the greater than or equals to is slightly different now, and it always exits with 12. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question is, like, do you think that code quality and, the level of code quality and like tech debt or bugs are correlated or in some way, or like should teams spend time separately from feature delivery, trying to work on code quality? Is it an ongoing process? Like how would you, not knowing any of the background on the conversations that I've been having, <laughs> <laughs> what what is your first impression of a question like that?
1: I mean, I always think the North Star, um or the the place where we all should be all the time the golden world that doesn't exist uh, should be that you write a feature you write tests for it and then because you have a project that started uh, you have some sort of linter pretty or whatever static analysis uh, as part of your ci process that does it because every time being on many teams at this point if Code quality and testing is an afterthought. You you never get to it. You just won't. Why would you, right? Like at, at some point you are too deep into feature development and so many things that it's just not sustainable. You're not gonna do it. Um, maybe if you're like at a startup, that's like mildly understandable that they're like, "All right, don't waste time writing too many unit tests. Maybe write it just for the core functions functionalities." Um, even in stuff like that, like if you if it's not a personal project you should try to see how much of that you can insert as possible. For one of, the, one of the examples, I was listening to some guy, some DevOps podcast, and he was saying, if it's not a personal project, if it's a startup or whatever company you're doing, do a CI-first approach. Always make sure your code is never hand-deployed. Just the, the most basic version of the Hello World, if you can get it through some sort of automated pipeline, you have set yourself up for success from the get-go, and next time there's a feature upgrade or something and you need to make changes, it will be smaller changes as opposed to now you have like 200 node packages and now you don't know what to do and everything takes too long. Uh, so for things like that, I am of the opinion that yes, we should have, you do your feature development, you write tests for it, uh, and then you get it like, run through the static analyzer as part of your CI pipeline. Mm-hmm. If then you get to a point where things are starting to pop up as problems and your code coverage is a reasonable state, then you're like, all right, what other analysis can we add? Should we be feeling the pipeline if certain things get through? Uh, Even just for like linting styles, where it's like your cyclomatic complexity is too high, maybe you're like, your product is stable enough that you're just like, no, if your function is more than 100 lines long, no, you're not committing this, break it out, we don't care. Um, Small things like those, uh, but yeah, always feature, test, and make sure it's, like, some sort of automation mm-hmm. uh, so that humans aren't sitting there annoyed.
0: Right. So do you include, in your definition of code quality, do you include things like SLAs, like total package size, uh, performance in in the end, uh, things like... Um, I'm forgetting now. You, you mentioned something in there that made me think of something to do with CI, but now it's escape me. But yeah, things things that are more like when the code's actually running or is it all related to static? I tend to lean towards more of the static stuff for code quality.
1: So up until my last team on S3, uh, I had, was on the static side of things uh-huh. uh, exclusively. And then because the product we were building was for blazingly fast performance, uh, the runtime became huge. So anytime a change was made or deployed, uh, we had this constant load test running mm-hmm. uh, against the service and if the latency metrics went a little bit up, even by like two milliseconds, which was huge because our goal was to stay under three, um, then people would be like, oh my God, this is crazy. We need to go now, diagnose, figure out what's going on and fix that. Um, so that's when I started learning or getting more into runtime performance of the application and how we should me- like measure Things like those, Mm -hmm. Um, which again becomes one of those things where it's less like it's more reactive than proactive because your code is in there now. Yeah. Uh, A lot of these things you can test in dev and staging environments, maybe, but production will always be your actual playground. Will be the one with the most metrics, the most eyes, the most attention. So, yeah. I mean, I depending on the core part of your application. Yes. You should have alarms and metrics for like regular usage so that if a change gets your memory usage from 50 to 90%, maybe go debug that, maybe figure <laughs> out alarms went off, step twos. Uh-huh. Um, But if it's like 50 to 51, 52%, unless your application is truly uh, performance specific or memory or whatever, because you're trying to look at costs. I'd probably just keep those monitors up but not make that part of like my code quality discussion. Uh-huh. Um, unless I was one of those people who went under the code review and was like, this is going to increase the memory usage footprint, and then it does, and then I'll like shame the person on the public <laughs> channel or DM <laughs> them and be like, hey, I told you, uh-huh. uh, unless I can also like help them with that. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, runtime is very much, runtime performance I would think would be, um, everything should be caught. During pre deployments, um, especially like functional tests and such, of like white right screen of death and other things that you might see uh, on the application if your page is now taking too long to load. Um, I, I would think like your build pipeline should catch most of those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, being a two, three year old startup, concerns are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a web app, right? And when it all comes down to it, it's like we get warnings that are node bundle is too big uh, when we are going to deploy it. Well, I I say node bundle, it's all node modules, so uh, it's basically what it is at this point. Um, But when I look into like, okay, well how much benefit can we get? It turns out it's pretty much all from uh, material UI. I'm working on upgrading us from four to five, but I need basically everybody to stop touching stuff because it's gonna touch over 400 files and I'm not dealing with those merge conflicts. And like, if we could get to five, I think we get some tree shaking that removes some of that stuff. But also like everyone that actually uses our system and is logging in, is logging in from North America. They can afford the one megabyte uh, download. Like it doesn't need to be kilobytes in our audience. Um, And so things like that, it's, eh, we could care, but also it doesn't really matter. Uh, We're really, really strict with all the like linters and and, uh, formatters and stuff on the Python side, uh, formatters on the uh, React side. But the linters, they've been, they've been abused and uh, removed and commented out quite a few times. Oh. So uh, that's less, uh, less pure on that side. But um, yeah, I guess I'm just, I think I'm still sticking with the, the static like compile time, uh, write time for code quality. Like As soon as the developer experience stops, I think code quality can be sort of cut off there, at least for the projects I've worked on, and then it becomes more about application monitoring and responsiveness and like, how does the team prioritize regressions? Uh, Currently not super well in the team I'm on, but also the demands for regressions are not that big. It's like, if things slow down, unless somebody specifically cares, then it won't get addressed for a while. Um, So, yeah, things like that. Uh, I am curious. uh, You mentioned tests. um, So I guess, like, in your golden world where everything is uh, perfect and pristine, there are tests. Uh, Do you think tests maintain or change code quality at all?
1: Um, Not really, no. Um, Because, yeah, their, their whole point is to make sure when you do make any big refactors or changes to make the style change. They're, they're basically the police. They just sit there and be like, all right, all right, this is still fine. Or no, something you did broke it. This is wrong. Um, unless you're what part of your test is like making sure things are returned to you in X amount of time or whatever, uh, unless they are monitoring for performance, probably not going to change much. They just will be like, okay, things are working as expected. Move on. They're like TLA, TSA officers. Mm-hmm. Unless you show up as, a bu- as the big bomb, they're just going to be like, yeah, whatever, take your shoes off, you can go, it's fine.
0: Right. I guess, I'm because I'm curious, right, the argument is always, uh, if you have more tests, it's easier to refactor. And I've always thought that's in theory, mm-hmm. and, but in practice, it's not. You
1: have to refactor the tests then as well. And uh-huh. just, yeah,
0: yeah. You, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's, again, the thing about how browser-based tests, in theory, are the best. Except that they never work So they're the worst Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like ideally If you wanted to um, refactor A bunch of behind the scenes logic Then yeah you run your browser based tests before, you run them after If they all still pass, your app still works Um, But it turns out that yeah you upgrade a package And suddenly none of the IDs are there anymore They change the structure of their HTML And nothing's wrong The app works just fine but all the tests fail So you lose faith in the tests Um, You know you had the opinion earlier, uh, muttered under your breath, some may have caught it, some may not have, about <laughs> uh, not writing unit tests. Uh, that's actually, if you want a discussion about that with more people with more justifiable opinions on it, um, the primogen uh, argued with Theo, uh, who runs ping.gg. Uh, they argued about it. Theo says, you should never write unit tests, or he should. Ne- he says, "I never write unit tests," and then says, "If you're in a situation like me, you should also probably not write unit tests." Thinks they're a waste of time, uh, and then yeah, primes like, "What? What are you talking about?" Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. definitely differing opinions there. Um,
1: what is the situation where you would not like frontend code?
0: Uh, I think um, if you don't want to. Right. and you can say it's my company
1: right That's what I think the real
0: <laughs> the real truth is. Uh, okay, so last thing I have is um, what role if any, does the language play in code quality? And one thing I will say is, at least as far as I've thought about it, uh, one thing that I that definitely made my Python code quality, Struggle for a long time was not knowing Iggy Magick, Python, like the common ways that people write Python. Uh, for example, it has map, filter, and reduce built in, but everyone uses list comprehensions or dictionary comprehensions. And so without knowing that, you can end up writing code and people are just like, what are you doing? And it's like, it does pretty much the same thing, um, but everyone's used to seeing. List comprehension, so you should write those uh, until you shouldn't. At which point, you should use some actual variables, and you have to name things. I know it's hard, uh, but you have to at some point. Um, but yeah, being being idiomatic. But apart from the idioms of the language or the the common ways people write it, do you think that the language has an effect on code quality?
1: No, because the the it the, it comes down to the fact that you know the basic choice of you choose the language for the problem. If you just choose the language for your preference, you've already like violated the rule of you shouldn't have a preference.
0: Well, okay, so what if, uh, let's just say hypothetically, no matter what, you're a startup and you're gonna use Python. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Uh, in that case, uh, I really hope you have some sort of pepate or universally agreed constraints. Right. That you so right away refer to earlier,
0: language. earlier in the episode, basically. Yes. Yeah. Bas-
1: yeah. Stick to stick to whatever the guidance is. Uh, I don't think it's the other way around where like the choice of the language affects the code quality. It's just that the code quality is sort of a byproduct of. Whatever policemen you have in place or police people, I don't know what the term is anymore, uh, whatever checks you have in place to make sure uh, nothing that your code represents what the community thinks or how it should be written. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I don't think the code itself or the language itself matters. Because, um, you know, then people start doing things like using semicolons in Python, uh, <laughs> and it's just. At that point, you're like, no, 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 all of us, everyone, everyone agreed. Just because it ignores it doesn't mean you should, you know, not bother. Um, but yeah, I, that's, where, that's where my opinion lies, where code quality isn't affected by the language. It is strictly defined by whatever the linting style and rules people mm-hmm. decided it, it should have.
0: Right. So I'll have to think about it more, but my current take is that it can affect it. And that's because as per the previous episode, my belief is that TypeScript raises the floor on the level of code quality you can write in, when compared to JavaScript, if, if you have the, if you're using TypeScript, um, like if you just turn off all the rules, then yeah, you can write the exact same code. Um, and sure, you could introduce really bad types, uh, very confusing, difficult to use types into TypeScript, but I still think that just because it will, if you're using strict mode or something, force you out of being able to uh, get things like undefined is not a function, the, com- the most common things in JavaScript that I've seen are ab- basically presence, lack of present checks and runtime errors that result from null and undefined. And so like, yeah, you could write really bad TypeScript code but I think it's just a bit—it's hard enough that unless you're trying to write bad TypeScript code, I think naturally if you have some idea of how to write JavaScript, you'll probably write slightly better code in TypeScript because it's more likely to work properly at runtime, which I think is a net positive. Uh, based on your comments before we started recording, also like no, I don't hate JavaScript. <laughs> I think no one should use it anymore uh, because there's a better language, a better alternative. Uh, I've I've just you know I was born in the JavaScript I came up in the JavaScript molded by it craft, yes yeah these people merely adopted the JavaScript uh, no I was making videos about like EA, yeah ES six ES twenty fifteen doing talks about it I I know what's going on but yes I've I've gone through the pain of realizing that I must uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater
1: uh, yes. Totally understanding what that uh, reference meant.
0: Uh, it's a common expression. You're usually not supposed to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Oh, You're supposed to get rid of the stuff you don't need anymore and keep the rest. But I'm like, no, 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 just get rid of it all. Right. Um, also, ECMAScript's getting out of hand. TC, TC39, whatever their name is, they're getting out of hand. They're just proposing everything now. They're like, yo, JavaScript's going to have the pipe operator. Wow. I'm like, oh, just what they needed. More syntax. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just still bitter over optional chaining, which I think is an anti-pattern. nwcallink.dev, if you want to learn about why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell your friends. <laughs> tell your friends. Yeah. Uh, and yes, if you're going to have something with like optional chaining, you definitely got to have some types in there to tell you when you're trying to optionally chain and return something that you thought was a value, but now it's not, and you threw an optional chain in there just to avoid the runtime error. But now you got you got undefined's polluting your, your functions. You don't know what's happening anymore.
1: That's true. Anyway. Although I, don't, I still don't think that satisfied the argument, um, does language choice make the code quality better? Because at that point, you're just choosing TypeScript. Like if you forget JavaScript exists, mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily improving your code quality. It's just a better language to write things in. It's like, I could write my Android app in Java, but why not use Kotlin, which is a much better language with just like sort of defined and used for that scope of work. Uh-huh. It's like how people move from Objective-C to Swift to write their iOS apps. Right, so uh,
0: your first point about you choose the language for the domain. Yes. Yeah, okay, I can see how that fits under it, the same yeah. category.
1: Yeah. So yeah, pick. Start, off, write, start off with the language that chooses your whatever problem you're solving. Mm -hmm. And then add everything that the community is like, this is how you make this language not suck. Mm -hmm. I feel like not knowing anything, uh, JavaScript must have like its set of proper checks and linters and maybe things where it's like, even if you don't have types, it probably is like, hey, this is a problem or this is where you might be having a problem. Like go where it's solved. It's like, I don't know, man, you need to check if this is an error or not, (laughs) because I can guarantee nothing here. If JavaScript did that, it's fine. Yeah.
0: yeah, you can get some aggressive linters in there. That definitely helps. Um, and if you're using frameworks, get the framework-specific or library-specific framework library specific linters. Get those all wired up. That'll help you a lot. Um, and don't comment them out. Don't disable them. Stop it.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, and eventually, whatever company you're working at, you'll wind up moving to Go. So it doesn't matter.
1: That's true. Yeah. Slash, slash, fix me in your code base all over. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In Python, you end up just using NumPy so you can actually use C.
1: Right. Yes. And
0: when you eventually decide you need a new microservice that goes faster, you'll reg it in Go. Except in 2023, you might argue that you should reg it in Rust.
1: Yes. Yeah. Rust all the it's, time.
0: Bleezingly fast.
1: Bleezingly It's so fast, you don't even know what you're writing because you're so annoyed at yeah. writing it.
0: Yeah, it runs fast, uh, but you will write it slowly.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's just, you know how old is the new? It's It looks so close to machine language. It's probably just going to be like assembly next. And it's going to be like something super cool. It'll be like assembled or something. And then it'll be like, oh yeah, this is the fastest. Absolute fastest way to write code.
0: Yeah, and it's super easy because you just have all your registries FD, here. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah all the so that you have to do is go to. Add, That's what uh, I yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who needs for loops? You can just go to a different line. Yeah, it's so much and easier you, to read.
0: And it's one hundred and seventy percent or one hundred and seventy times faster than Python. Wow. Because you still got to compare it to Python.
1: Everything has to be compared to Python. It is too slow.
0: Yeah. Right on. Okay. Well. I think there was some difference of opinion.
1: Mildly, yes.
0: Slight. Yes. Uh, the, the blurry edge of code quality and application performance, worth thinking about. But the key takeaway here, get your formatters in, in place, get your linters in place, get your CI in place before you start writing too much code, and then just shut up. And let it, If it yells at you, you fix it. Yes. Make sure you got some uh, make commands so you can just do like make format code. Boom. You don't even have to worry about it. it Make sure your IDE is set up so that you don't get surprised every time you push it up and then complain to the person that set up the CI that the linting's annoying. I didn't want to just wait for this anymore. I thought I had a build, I gotta get this fixed out. You should have had an error in your IDE. Should have had an error in your editor even.
1: Yeah.
0: It doesn't even have to be an integrated development environment. Nope. It can just be an editor. And it should still be a little like, hey, squiggle, you gotta fix this. This order's wrong. Yeah, but don't use uh, a bunch of like pre-commit hooks. People don't like those.
1: Man. Pa- pa- yeah, not too many. A little bit maybe is fine. Uh, especially if you're like you know if your team can't agree on commits on save or whatever format on save, then you might want to like force their hand by being like, all right, before you commit, let me run some it- checks because I know y'all didn't do it.
0: So. I was a bit softer about this opinion, and then I heard a bunch of devs, including the Primogen, yelling about this on stream. Distinguishing between format on, or like commit hooks versus pre-push hooks. Because I think commit hooks are probably way too aggressive. Yes. Because yeah, it's none of your business when I want to commit. That's
1: true.
0: Maybe I have commitment issues, you don't need to know.
1: No, no one needs to know this,
0: yeah. Uh, But before you push, maybe. Maybe that's fine, uh, but still, like CI will do that, but if, if for example, hypothetically, you're working with a company that's, or another team that's from another company that doesn't seem to understand how anything works, pretty much ever, uh, and can't format their own code before pushing it up and just want to cry and complain and yell, about, yell about it, yeah, some pre-push hooks might be good.
1: Yeah, because, you know, you might also be in this situation where you... Um, want to do want to want to run your CI checks on the cloud, but the cloud always says it's it'll be fine during the maintenance period, <laughs> and it's not. So then you never know, and then now you have twenty different. And it's the years. last day
0: of your sprint. It's Monday. This is all hypothetical. <laughs>
1: all hypothetical. You'll, no. none of this is real. No. Not including us. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. Who said that? (laughs) Joke. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, All right. So that's about it. Zero one zero one. (laughs) Binary solo. solo. (laughs) I
0: think that's all I got. All my prompts.
1: Yeah. So write good code, and if you don't, I don't know. It's like people will be mad, and you don't want that because as a society we want people.
0: I think I've, I've gotten to the point where i do actually feel like i have for the most part in development in my career the whole cliche of strong opinions loosely held Mm. i think before it was more like weak opinions semi-strongly held (laughs) uh it was like yeah i think i think this is the right opinion and then feel like a bit hurt if people disagreed and now i'm more just like this is the opinion and then someone's like but this is why it's wrong like true. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, you're, I'll update you, my model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, i <laughs> change the weights. Um, so try to try have that at least for the things that don't matter. Don't, yeah. be, don't be bike-shedding with your team.
1: Yeah, and if you're angry about any of this, come respond to us on Anchor or something because we're bored.
0: So I don't think I mentioned this on the show. I need to shout somebody out not for the show. They oh. messaged me directly. What? Well, not me. Not message. <laughs> I think I, I think I might have told you this, but no. Somebody uh, posted on Twitter, and they tagged me in it because it was a they mentioned one of my blog posts, and they were like, "Great explanation of transducers by N. W. Calvank." Wow. And it made me feel warm and fuzzy. This was wow. before I went to Mexico, and I was like, "Oh, Aw, thanks, guy."
1: So, we have a celebrity on our show. So I hearted it. Oh my god.
0: Yes, because I was on I was on Twitter, uh, while I was, it was in my. S- so here I can tell you why, because, the day before, uh, one of the Rocket League streamers said that he was going to do a show match, and then there was no show match. So he he said he was posting on his Twitter, and then so I went to his Twitter to ah. see because I don't go on Twitter. I was on the browser. And uh, I went to his Twitter, and he's like, yeah, sorry, show match had to be delayed. So-and-so couldn't make it. And I was like, oh, okay. But then I saw I had a notification. And I was like, yeah? okay? I don't get notifications. <laughs> so I clicked on it, and it was from, like, two months ago, two months before that, like, October. And wow. this was December. And, uh, yeah, just, like, a nice little message linked to the blog post. And I, f- I felt all warm and fuzzy.
1: So excited about this.
0: Yeah. So
1: likes, All right? Wow, Valentine, Valentine. Shout out. Shout out. Nathan's first like since twenty fourteen. <laughs> 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 wow. Yeah, this guy is good.
0: This is a, an important moment. But anyway, let's let's not dwell on that.
1: Yes. If you're a bot, thank you. Uh, anyways, and yeah. Tell your friends about the show and a
0: and Sure, if you want to.
1: Yes. But you know what? As people are improving, making their code better. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to make your life better? My
0: life quality? Yeah. Uh well, not much has happened since we last recorded. The we week flew by and it's a bit it's a day earlier than normal. So I uh, I have a few updates. So as far as trying to like this was a try to do better. Because I the most important thing I still have on my do better is to take action on planning and booking things so that the year doesn't just pass me by again but I tried to do that and the um, Parks Canada website has not opened any of their booking for 2023 yet Hmm. so like I can't I can't book any campsites I can't book the West Coast Trail I'm thinking of doing that with my sister Uh, or at least getting two uh, booking for two people and then finding someone to go with me and I think (laughs) uh if it if I can't find anybody else no matter what I'm confident that I can get her to go with me nice. yeah. uh, so I'm thinking of it as like yeah well I'll do that with my sister um but anyway yeah it's not open I can't I can't book any anything no campsites or nothing so for now that's gonna be a delay uh, but I tried so I did that at least um one of my quarter one um like higher principle higher order goals uh for 2023 is is just like um, continuing to focus on my relationship and so this wasn't originally like a focus on doing better but what I wound up doing on the weekend was just like spending some quality time with my girlfriend uh, it was our first weekend back from Mexico and yeah I spent three weeks there but we almost three weeks but it was almost entirely chaperoned and around her family so even just being able to like watch island of the sea wolves together nice. like just hang out without a bunch of people being around so um spend some time with her that was good uh this was unplanned as far as like the show goes but it was an important thing i had to do i mentioned it actually on the show but not that i was getting this help was i got help from the wealth simple tax people with like what do i do about my rsp over contribution
1: right
0: um and it took had some very confusing back and forths where I'm like, I provided this information so you didn't have to ask these clarifying questions, but (laughs) okay. Uh, (laughs) ended up confirming what I needed, which uh, I'm now able to fill out a couple forms, and then I should be able to, at the very least, just pay a small fee and then be okay. Uh, At the best, I'll also get that fee waived because I have they say provide documentation that like it was an honest mistake and I can just attach my emails of me being like, I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I think I did this wrong. Is it? Can you confirm this is an overcontribution? Can you tell me what I'm supposed to do? So it'll be clear that I have no idea what I'm doing, which is uh, perfect. <laughs> so yeah, for, for the next week, I should file those forms to the CRA so I don't get any late penalties or anything. Uh, and that's that. And for doing better, Um, the picking up the car I think I mentioned it Like I was going to get a car uh, last week it got pushed um, because we were in Mexico we didn't have a meeting to go over um, like the payment, insurance uh, anything like that Uh, and there's some like protection that we put on the car undercoat and paint protection and so you have to send the car away and then you're supposed to have that meeting before it gets delivered. Oh. But we had that meeting the day it got delivered because we were out of the country. So anyway, that got delayed until tomorrow now. So I need to continue to not freak out when it comes to upcoming expenses.
1: Nice.
0: But for the most part, like I've already I've already had the money come out of my account for the bank draft, so I can't freak out too much more. Should be fine. <laughs> so I think I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, try to book, playing and book things as they become available and try to focus on learning basic overriding principles for the first month or f- so of the of the year and that's about it nice yeah what about you
1: uh i just remembered that i had a very long rant about what i want to do overall with my year in yes the last episode yeah yeah it was interesting uh, which was most of it was just yeah uh learn more about this new domain and improve technologically because uh, everything else in my life is pretty stable and fine Uh, which continues to be true luckily good Uh, so as part of my did better I listened to some podcasts about uh, machine learning just sort of trying to understand what overall it is because it's a very different domain uh, than web development and um, listen to some podcasts so luckily for my benefit Uh, the technical co-founders of my company have been on a bunch of different podcasts uh, talking about the technological thing that they've been doing so either they're really bored and free (laughs) or they're actually like very knowledgeable people which is what I'm getting the latter so far Um, yeah so I've been listening to it's so much easier because I can just go on to the Google podcast search and type my company name and then it comes up a bunch of podcasts of like this guy from this company talks about machine learning I'm like cool Uh, So I favored a lot of those, downloaded some YouTube ones, so now I'm listening to some of them, but they're not like easy lessons, because if I miss a context or two, then I'm like, oh, I've I've completely no idea what they're talking about now. Or they'll say a random technology, like I think he was talking about how they're doing distributed data processing using Ray. I'm like, what's Ray? Um, How does it work? Uh, And one of my senior devs, uh, and I was thinking about, it. he was just like, oh, machine learning is just a bunch of EMR jobs in parallel. I was like, I know what EMR is, but like, I, the, the, that explanation does not help because I thought EMR was parallel as its inheritance base of how it works. So things like that. I was just listening to some of it, but now I'm listening to some of it and then I'll go on to YouTube. And the funny part is most of the YouTube videos are by the CEO, but most of the podcasts are by the technological guy. And I'm like, I, it's, I guess that's their medium of explanation. Um, which uh, I'll try to tie the two. So doing that, I uh, went to the gym last week after not working out for a month and a half. And so good. It just <laughs> feels so good. Everything was hurting. And I'm much weaker than I was before. Uh, but because pre-going to the gym, I looked so much worse the mild pump felt like really good <laughs> um, but it is crazy how much uh, strength I have lost uh, in just a month. Uh, but you know what it, it's fine I'm at the stage where it's meta okay okay fitness level for my liking and I have five more months or if the last year pattern continues seven more months till summer hits <laughs> oh no! Uh, <laughs> before I'm like happy to actually hike and not be home because of rain, so it'll all it'll all fall through. But I'm doing a lot more stretching. I've added a lot more stretching into my regimen, and it's actually feeling really really good. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's what I did did better on. Uh, and then doing better on. This is my week of transition between two jobs, so I'm just going to relax just gonna get in the mindset for going back to school mode basically because I that's what it will be happening I'll be just studying all the time and it sort of helps that my girlfriend's too obsessed with her job lately <laughs> uh, so while she's doing her thing I can do my thing and not feel bad about not spending quality time with her I see. Uh but hopefully between there there's a balance of the two we can figure out on spending that time and um, yeah so that's gonna be the focus for next week. And I actually saw a book or two that looked interesting. I added it to my Amazon wishlist, but I don't think I'm gonna order it just yet, just because I don't want to overwhelm with too many resources and be like, oh. So my current goal is to just do that. When I start work next week, book meetings with the technical people and just sit down and say, tell me what our product does, how it does it, and why does this company exist? Someone sit with me for a demo end-to-end run something in machine learning for me. I don't know. Make it work. <laughs> yeah. uh, and see what happens. I see. People seem very friendly on the Slack I've joined so far. Lots of kudos. They just seem wholesome uh, mm. and seem to like talking to each other. Um, except one passive aggressive message I saw, everything else looked really cool. Huh. So, and the me- message was basically like, hey guys, can we use threads more? And because benefits of using threads are these, these, these. Which maybe he was being sincere, but I feel like, at this point, sort of like threads have been around for four years, five years um, that it feels mildly like sarcastic to be like, use threads because it's a good thing to use. Um, so, but maybe he's just being genuine and I'm just skeptical of everything that happens in this world.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> year, <laughs> years of EA and AWS will do that to you, I guess.
1: I suppose, Yeah. But, but yeah, it's going to relax. The way I do better is by doing nothing at all.
0: Wow. Cool.
1: It'll be like one of those quotes in good life.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, (laughs) those are silly. Okay, well, I think that's it for today. Yes. Bye.
1: Bye.